for those of you that are new, my name is Brett Hastings. I'm the student director here at Grace. Um, we've decided on a few occasions to combine the youth and the adults. Have me teach up here gives you guys an opportunity to see um, if you have kids in youth group what I'm teaching them because you essentially get the same lessons that I teach them. So um, gets gets a little bit of an opportunity for you guys to see what I'm teaching. And just it's good to bring everybody together just so there's not a division in the church. So that's why we're doing that. Uh, tonight we are looking at the book of Ruth. Um, the book of Ruth is such a great work of literature. Um, and there is so much packed into those four short chapters. It's just exquisitely written, very well done. Um, and it's not only great literature, but it's a very heartwarming story after you read through the book of Judges. Because <laughs> Judges is, is just depressing and, and terrible to read through. So when you get to Ruth, it's very encouraging and it's very heartwarming. Um, the book of Judges also continues to trace uh, what is a small righteous remnant of God's chosen people throughout uh, Israel. Even amongst the gross immorality of the Israelites during the time of Judges, there is a small remnant uh, that God has preserved who worship him. And we see that in uh, the characters in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is also very important because it is the only genealogical record that we have tracing Jesus back to Perez, back to Judah, back to the patriarchs. Without Ruth, we could not be certain of Jesus' lineage. So it's very, very important for that reason. It also explains in detail how that all came about. Um, but not only does, G does uh, Ruth contain the geneal genealogical link to the Messiah, but it fittingly contains um, in type the redemptive work of the Messiah, and we'll talk about that a little later. So that's a bit of an introduction to the book. Uh, let's talk about some of the basics. Uh, the title, um, many of the titles that we have in our English translation are different from the Hebrew, but this one is the same. It's the same in the Hebrew, um, in the Greek, and in the English. It's, they all title this book the Book of Ruth. Does anybody know who the author is? You guys have any idea who the author is? Some say Samuel. Some say Samuel. Yeah, Jewish tradition holds that it's Samuel, but there's no real good indicators in the book, um, and there's no extra biblical um, indication as to who wrote it as well. So it's really anonymous. But Jewish tradition does hold that Samuel wrote it. And it is possible, possible because he did live um, up through the time of David. So it's possible, but that's just Jewish tradition. Uh, the date of events covered in the book probably occur around 1126 to 1105 B.C., somewhere in there, um, during the judgeship of uh, Jair. And it's likely that Ruth was written, uh, written down just before or during the reign of David, and he reigned from 1011 to 971 B.C. And he is... I'm sorry. Would you mind repeating the dates of David's reign? Yeah, David's reign is 11 or 1011 to 971 BC. And David is mentioned in the lineage of Ruth. Uh, and it, they, they uh, estimate that it was written down before uh, the time of Solomon because they, they think if Solomon was there in, in power that they probably would have included him in that lineage. But they think that it was written down before that because Solomon is not included not mentioned in that lineage. 
So the purpose of the book is that Yahweh sovereignly, but in a hidden way, affected the birth of his king through the actions of his people. Yahweh sovereignly, but in a hidden way, affected the birth of his king through the actions of his people. And we're going to get, we're going to talk a lot more about that as we get into the major themes. Yahweh sovereignly, but in a hidden way, affected the birth of his king through the actions of his people. You guys need one more? You got it. Yes, one more. One more. All right. Yahweh sovereignly, but in a hidden way, affected the birth of his king through the actions of his people. I liked what Josh said last week when he said, I'm only going to say this four times. <laughs> I think that was four. That's a good, yes. good practice. Four is pretty good. Uh, the theme of the book. After reading through it, what do you think the overarching theme is? It's a little easier when there's four chapters. I heard something mumbled over there. What do you guys think the th overall theme of the book is? <coughs> Redemption. Good. It took you guys a little while. Redemption. Um, you could say kinsman redeemer as well. Um, one of the things in one of the books I read talked about uh, a theme that you could pull out of there for the overall book is God's Cinderella. I thought that that was a little interesting, but I think uh, redemption or kinsman redeemer is a little better fit. Uh, the outline is pretty simple. Only four chapters. Chapter 1, Ruin. Chapter 2, Restoration. Chapter 3, Romance. And chapter 4, uh, The Redemption. So that's very simple, straightforward outline. There's only four chapters. Uh, let's get into some of the major themes, some of the meat of the book of Ruth. Did anything jump out to you guys as you read through that besides redemption? We already talked about that. Besides redemption, what were some themes throughout the book that you saw? Faithfulness. Loyalty, faithfulness. Protection. Protection. Good. Kindness. Kindness. What? Rebecca said the obliviousness of man. Boaz didn't notice that. Well, Naomi had to tell Ruth just to go do it. So yeah, that's true. She wasn't a whole lot better. Anything else? <laughs> We're going to talk about that a little bit. Anything else? You guys see anything? Any other themes? There's a lot of sacrificial love. Sacrificial love? How so? Well, with when Ruth decided to go with Naomi and not leave, that was a, she was doing what was loving towards her. Yeah, she, uh, she was doing the right thing by taking care of her mother-in-law, right? She, she, you're right, she did sacrifice a lot to do that. Good, anything else? All right, well, we'll jump right into it. The first one on your list there you can fill in is the sovereignty of God. Did you guys notice that as you're reading through there? No? Good. I guess we'll cover it tonight then. Um, the first major theme is the sovereignty of God. 
Um, there's a few sub points there in your outline under the sovereignty of God. And the first one, as you can see, is the obstacles. Um, and the word obstacles is used for lack of a better word, you might say, um, because there are really um, no obstacles uh, in God's sovereignty, right? So rather, they are apparent obstacles from the reader's perspective. Uh, the kind of story that the Jews would want to read would be one set in a flourishing Israelite community with a thriving nation. And right off the bat, the story goes in the opposite direction. So if you're not there already, turn to Ruth chapter 1. We're going to read the first few verses there. So Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So right away, the story is set um, in, as Israelite is in a drought, has, there's a famine in the land, and Elimelech has to take his family to Moab. Okay, so you have to remember that the, the land of Moab, the Moabites were those rotten people who tried to destroy them on the, on the way to conquer the, the promised land so many years ago. Um, they were the ones who called the false prophet uh, Balaam to come and curse them. Uh, so they tried to stop the Israelites from coming through there. And now the story is set where Elimelech has to take his family there to survive. So this is the first apparent obstacle uh, in the book. Elimelech has to take his family away from Israel because there is a famine in the land. This um, probably would not be what an Israelite reader would want to read through as a story. I mean, after all, God's plan was that Israel would prosper in the promised land, at least that's what the Israelites thought. That was God's promise to them if they stayed faithful, but obviously they did not. We just got done going through the book of Judges. Is this drought and famine an obstacle for God? No. Absolutely not. Um, God controls the climate. He does what he wishes. God brought the famine upon the land of Israel. Ruth, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, goes on from there. It says, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. So the next turn of events, the head of the household dies. Um, God is still sovereign, though. God gives life, and he takes it away. And we're going to see that at the end of the book of Ruth. Going on to verse 4, it says, uh, These, that is the two sons, of uh, Ruth and Elimelech took Moabite wives. So as a Jewish reader, now you'd be sitting there reading this going, oh no, this family has just gone off the deep end. The sons have married women that they were forbidden to marry, and this is starting off as a tragic story. Then you go on to verse 5, and it says, After ten years, both Malon and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So this is just another tragedy in the story. The first five books, the first five verses of the book are just one huge tragedy. And as you start reading this, you think, how could anything good come from this? It's just tragedy after tragedy, gloom and darkness is the sense after the first five verses. But is this not the start of every story of redemption? starts off with tragedy. 
But that's not the end of the story. <clears throat> was God sovereign through all of these tragedies? Or was he off wringing his hands trying to figure out what he was going to do when <laughs> Elimelech ran off to Moab and then they married Moabite wives? Was God standing up in heaven just wringing his hands figuring out how he was going to fix it? No. I'm pretty emphatic. What was he doing? I think that was orchestrating the plan. Um, these are all implied actions from God. He planned all of this, but there are some um, explicit actions attributed to God, and that's the second subpoint um, in the actions of Yahweh. So that's the second subpoint, the actions of Yahweh. And we see this in. Uh, Verse 6, it says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So we see here God being attributed sovereignty over creation by bringing rain, uh, allowing crops to grow, produce food. Uh, the, people were, the people now had food to eat in the land of Israel, and word had spread, and Ruth and Naomi heard of it. So God showed his people grace and mercy. Even though it was the middle of the time of the judges, God still showed them grace and mercy um, and allowed them to survive that famine. Next, flip over with me to chapter 4, verse 13. There's one more verse that directly attributes God uh, to action in the book. Like I said, all those things we talked about before are just implied. These ones are... Um, expli explicitly stated. Ruth chapter 4 verse 13 says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. So God is the one who gives life. Why did God withhold children from Ruth for ten years in Moab? So his plan could be brought about right now, just as he had planned Next, we see God's sovereignty as the people's prayers are answered. And that is the third subpoint there, the answers to prayer. Um, there are several cross-references there if you want to look them all up later. Um, but I just want to look at one real quick. And this is uh, in Ruth chapter 2. This is Boaz's prayer for Ruth after hearing um, what she has done for her mother-in-law, Naomi. Uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 12 says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So that's Boaz's prayer for Ruth. Uh, was it answered? <clears throat> Heard some throat clearing. Fred, are we, are we on uh, the sovereignty of God, point number three? Yes. Because it's on my... My handout says the providence of God in human affairs. Mm -hmm. And it says chapter 2, verse 3, and then verse 20. Is there an extra one I can Am I, I, am I on the right place? Here's some. Here's an extra one. Because I don't have one. There you go. Oh, yeah, sorry, that's a typo. Okay. What's it supposed to say? Number 3 is supposed to say the answers to prayer. And the cross-references are also wrong. That number three there is actually the next line 
so you can fill in the blanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so number three is the answers to prayer. Um, and I can get you those cross-references later if you want to look at those. Cool. So you, you, went, you took us to 2.12? Yes. Chapter 2, verse 12. Thank you. So I'll read that again now that you guys are... Or with me. It says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So that's Boaz's um, prayer for her as he um, has met her and heard the story of what she has done. And this is what he prays for her. Um, and Boaz's prayer was answered. And in fact, he was the answer to that prayer for her. Um, and this exemplifies one reason. Uh, we don't have all the, we don't have time tonight to get into all the reasons why we should pray, but this exemplifies one reason we should pray. Um, some people say, you know, oh, God's will is going to be done. He's sovereign. So it doesn't matter if I pray or not because his will is going to be done anyway. Um, and this is, this is often a temptation for us um, when it comes to prayer. But if you, if you give in to that logic, you will miss uh, the great blessings of seeing how God specifically works. If you take time to pray for other people like Boaz did for Ruth, you get to see God specifically answering uh, your prayers. You get to see God working. Otherwise, it just goes unnoticed. But Boaz, no doubt, would have remembered praying this for Ruth and then later seeing it come about in his own life as he was the very answer to that prayer. And so, yes, there are other reasons we should pray, but we don't have time to get into all that tonight. Um, but we see God's sovereign will to bring about his plans, and he has placed us here to pray, to conform us to him, and for us to see how he is working in our lives. And um, we talked about this in youth group a little bit, but just the reason that God uh, placed Moses in the position uh, that he did to stand up, to, um, to pray for the people. Because God said, I'm just going to wipe Israel off the map. But Moses prayed for them. And that wasn't Moses changing God's mind. God placed Moses in that very position to pray that prayer, um, to bring about his sovereign will. And we should view, this, view our prayers as the same. God has placed us in that position. We should pray, and God will use that to bring about his will. So that covers the first major theme. Okay, the sovereignty of God is the first major theme that we see in the book. We really see God in control of everything. He's working out all the details, and we see that a little bit more in the second major theme there, which is the providence of God in human affairs. So number three there is actually that, that second line of blanks, the providence of God in human affairs. So in your Bibles, turn to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. And if somebody could read verses 2 through 3. Just go ahead and start. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. 
So Ruth just happened to end up in the field belonging to Boaz. And it just happened that Boaz is one of the family redeemers. Ruth hit the lottery, right? Her numbers came up. She just happened to end up in the right place at the right time. Uh, we know from the other books of the Bible uh, that we've been through so far that God is working through all things and nothing just happens. God brings all things about, um, but there are uh, some important principles for us to learn here in regards to God directing all human affairs. We have to keep in mind that Ruth uh, made sacrifices to follow Yahweh and do what was right in taking care of Naomi. Uh, she sacrificed the prospect of a husband and a family. Um, that's why Naomi uh, sent uh, Ruth and her other daughter-in-law. She implored them to go back to Moab because she knew for certain that if they went on to uh, back to Jerusalem with her, to Israel with her, that they would most likely not remarry. They would not have a family. And so she implored them to go back to their families, but Ruth stuck it out with her. <laughs> Brings back memories of cartoons. Right? So Ruth... <laughs> Yeah. So, Ruth sacrificed uh, her life, her future for Naomi um, to take care of Naomi to do what was right. Um, and after they returned to uh, Israel, she also uh, didn't just sit on her butt. She did what she knew to be right in uh, working to provide for uh, herself and for Naomi. So while God does providentially bring all things about, that doesn't mean um, that, for instance, if you are a young man or you're a one, young woman uh, looking to get married, that you sit in your room, you play video games or produce makeup videos, you know, and just sit there and you pray that God will send you Prince Charming or, you know, a pretty young lady to bring you food while your thumbs are getting sore, you know, that... <laughs> No, I do not, but a lot of girls do that. My daughter used to find them on YouTube. We don't let them watch YouTube anymore. So God providentially works, but that doesn't mean that we don't do anything. We don't sit around waiting for God to work. We don't sit around and say, I'll move when God you know, appears to me and tells me what to do, or I'll do this when God comes and sends somebody and tells me to do this. That's not how God providentially brings about his will. We see Ruth sacrificing um, and doing what was right, and God brought about his plan through her faithfulness, uh, not only to him, but to Naomi. And this is the big responsibility for us here is God's providence does not negate our responsibility. We have to do what he calls us to do, to be faithful, and he will work out his providential will. Uh, we also see that Ruth was focused on being faithful to her commitment uh, to God, to Ruth. Uh, no doubt Ruth desired uh, a marriage, a family, but she didn't go out seeking that. 
She didn't go out seeking the field with the cute guys in it. She didn't go out seeking anything specific to find a family. She went out seeking to be faithful to the life that God had immediately given her. She was seeking to please God by taking care of her mother-in-law, by being faithful to the, to the life that God had currently placed her in, the circumstances she was currently in. Um, the challenge for us here, and especially um, you single young people wanting to get married, um, the challenge for us is to be faithful and serve God where he has put us, and he will bring the people into our lives that he wants to be there. Um, you know, especially for you youth kids, you younger people that aren't married yet, you sit back and you pray and you stay faithful and you work, you do the Lord's work and you trust that God will bring to you who he wants you to be with. That doesn't mean you sit around and you do nothing and you just hope that God brings them to you. You stay faithful in the world where he has you. And that's just as much of a challenge for all of us to be content uh, with where we're at, to serve God where we're at, and God will providentially uh, move us. Um, Travis mentioned a few weeks ago that we're planning on um, moving to California next summer and going to seminary out there. Um, a month ago, that was not our plan. If you'd asked me that a month ago, I'd say, no, you're crazy. We're not going. That was five years from now. That was our plan. But God providentially worked through things as we just continue to do what God asks of us. God providentially works things and makes things happen. That was not us striving or seeking after, um, seeking after that. That was way down the road. He kind of rocked our, our world and our plans with that. But our job is to stay faithful and do what he asks us to do. So we have to remember that God is... Um, sovereign. He providentially works through all the lives of his people and we have to uh, stay faithful to him, just continue to do the work that he has put in front of us and he will providentially move us where he wants us to be. So those statements in the book of Ruth that say it just happened that <laughs> Ruth ended up in that field, that's just from a human perspective. That's just saying Ruth didn't go out seeking that. She just went out to do what she knew to be right, and she just happened to land there by the providence of God. So it's from a human perspective, not, uh, not from God's perspective. <clears throat> that brings us to the next major theme the godly individuals, the godly individuals. And as you can see, there's three listed there, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. We're going to start by talking about Naomi. Um, Naomi, I was reading through this. As you read through the book of Ruth, you might think that Ruth is the main character, but Naomi is actually uh, the main character. Um, she is in the opening of the book, and really at the end of the book, she is the subject of um, the redemption. She is the one that is said to have been redeemed, and the baby is given to her and said that that is her, um, her son uh, to carry on the lineage. So Ruth chapter 1, going to read 19 to 21. If somebody wants to read 19 to 21, please. 
so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? Or, and the women said that. And then she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi here recognizes God's sovereign hand in all that has happened in her life. But nowhere does she charge him with wrongdoing. Um, she may not have the most optimistic view on life, but I probably wouldn't either. Uh, considering her circumstances, that was a rough decade she endured. Um, but she doesn't accuse God of any wrongdoing. She acknowledges that he brought it all about, but she does not accuse him of any wrongdoing. And therefore, she is listed in that, in that list of godly individuals. Um, someone who endures what Naomi endured uh, does not come out the other side um, attributing the events to God without blaming him unless they have an accurate view of God. She had an accurate view of God. She trusted him. And therefore, she attributed everything to ha that happened to him, yet she did not blame him. And I think we see a righteous attitude in Naomi when she attributes these events to God, uh, but she does not charge him with wrongdoing. She recognizes that he brought it about, uh, but it is not wrongdoing on his part. So that kind of marks Naomi as uh, a righteous individual. There are other, um, other cross-references there if you guys want to look at those later. Uh, Ruth is the next one. Uh, we're going to read Ruth 1, 16 to 17. Somebody else want to read that? Ruth 1, 16 to 17. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if even death parts me from you. So verse 17 there, where it says, uh, Lord, that is uh, the name Yahweh. If you'll notice in your Bibles, it's probably all caps, depending on your translation. Um, but Ruth uses the name Yahweh there. And so Ruth, she's not only telling Naomi that she's committed to her, uh, but what's driving that is she is committed to Yahweh as her God, and she's willing to sacrifice as much to follow him, um, to do what is right by taking care of Naomi. And we see more in chapter 2 on that. Chapter 2, uh, verses 11 and 12. Uh, if somebody wants to read that, verses 11 and 12. Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
So this is easy to miss, uh, but in this passage, Ruth's faith is connected to the faith of Abraham, um, who left family and home uh, there at the end of verse 11. Um, he says, it's been fully told to me how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know. Uh, connecting it there with the faith of Abraham. And she, you really see the parallels when you realize the things that she sacrificed to uh, do what God asked her to do, to take care of her mother-in-law. She really left, uh, sacrificed everything, had nothing going for her, um, and she left her home and her family and her gods behind to follow uh, Yahweh. And she's recognized and attributed that here. And so uh, we really see uh, Ruth here as having the faith of Abraham. Uh, Ruth, uh, she was a lowly Moabite woman um, who is not regarded as anything. She had the faith of Abraham to follow uh, Yahweh wherever he called. And this is one of the themes that's traced uh, throughout Scripture. The small remnant of people who remain faithful uh, to Yahweh, they all have faith like Abraham. They follow God to do things that they would never otherwise do. Uh, this is just the characteristic of true believers. So we see Ruth as righteous, having the faith like Abraham. Uh, then in Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, it says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So this is Boaz speaking to Ruth, and he says that Ruth's godly character has become known throughout the entire town. Everyone, all of his townsmen, recognize her righteousness. Though she was a Moabitess, uh, she was faithful to Yahweh, and it showed the people around her recognized uh, the uh, very different uh, sacrifice, sacrifice, the sacrificial love that she showed this would just stand out in complete contrast to the rest of Israel during that time. You have to remember, um, this is in the middle of Judges, uh, when everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. Uh, Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, they're going to stand out because they have remained faithful to Yahweh. And that brings us to Boaz. Uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 1 uh, speaks about Boaz. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And I don't particularly like the ESV translation of this verse because in the Hebrew there are two words used to describe uh, Boaz. Many translations combine those two words, uh, probably because they're, they're very similar. They're very close in meaning. Those two words are gibber and hail. And they could be translated as champion of great strength, a great rich man. Um, and I think the next one catches the sense of the text, an upright man of virtue. And the HCSB version um, actually has a good rendering of this. It says, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. So the text explicitly describes Boaz as a righteous man, uh, but we also see his righteous character worked out. 
Um, he withstood the social pressures, that uh, the evilness of the day that characterized the time of the judges, and he remained faithful. He was known as a righteous man. When you read through the book of Judges, if you guys did, you probably read through that wondering if there's anybody who remains faithful because if all we have is the book of Judges, you don't see that. But the book of Ruth gives us a picture, once again, of that small remnant of people that God has preserved who remain faithful to him. But they look drastically different from everyone around them. And that's why they stood out so much. And I'm sure that these three, Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, stood out. They didn't just go along with the rest of the culture. They remained faithful to Yahweh. And that is a very good example for us today um, as our culture continues to um, go down the road that it's going, continue to be more and more depraved. Um, it is so important that we stand out, um, that we are different. Um, I find it hard to believe that Boaz didn't endure some kind of persecution as there are so many idolaters around him, yet he's remained faithful. And we have to uh, be ready to endure the same thing. But we have to put our faithfulness to God first and our acceptance to the culture uh, as it comes and as God allows it. So those are the righteous uh, characters in the story in the book of Ruth. And that leads us, ending with Boaz, leads us to our next major theme, and that is redemption. Redemption. What does the word redemption mean? Yeah, bought back? Yes. Good. <clears throat> uh, it means to buy back, to purchase back. Uh, if you were in Leviticus 25, it lays out some uh, laws for uh, redeeming people. If you were poor um, and you had to sell yourself into slavery, your brother could eventually buy you back out of that and, and set you free. Uh, there's several other scenarios in there. Um, redeeming a widow whose husband had died. Um, is another scenario. Uh, so Ruth chapter 2, uh, the end of verse 20 says that this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So that's Naomi speaking to Ruth. Uh, Naomi knew that Boaz could redeem them from their current situation. So all of these processes that Leviticus 25 lays out. Um, they were God's grace uh, in, in certain laws. Uh, that was one aspect of it. They were uh, meant to um, aid people, to be mercy upon people, to be a grace to people. But they also pointed to the ultimate story of redemption and that Jesus would one day come and redeem us um, from our bondage to slavery from sin and death, from which we could never uh, redeem ourselves, nor could anyone else redeem us from it. Boaz is a type um, or a kind or a foreshadow of 
Christ. Boaz is a type of Christ. Um, and the ugly state of sinners when Christ redeems us is portrayed a bit in this story. Um, in chapter 3, uh, Ruth, uh, if you read through this, uh, Ruth is sent by Naomi uh, to the barn where Boaz is working. And after he falls asleep, she was instructed to go in, lay down at his feet, uncover his feet. Uh, this is, I said this when I preached, this is not a prescription for how we should do things. Um, this is just describing how it was done back then. This is not something parents you should have your girls do. Sneaking in houses, laying, that's not a good idea. So this is just describing how things happened. So Naomi tells Ruth to go in, lay, wait till he lays down, goes to sleep, lay at his feet, uncover his feet. So she goes, lays at his feet in the middle of the night. Um, he eventually wakes up, realizes that there's someone in his bed, and he is quite startled and says, who's there? <laughs> I'm sure it was probably pitch black. I doubt they had any uh, light in the room they were in, probably pitch black. So Ruth responds by asking him, she announces who she is, and she basically asks him to uh, redeem her, to marry her. Uh, so he tells her that he will uh, redeem her, but he says that there is, uh, there is a redeemer closer than him. There's someone in front, in line, before him. And being the righteous man that he is, he wants to follow the law. But as you're reading that, um, you're thinking, no, don't just... Finish this good story that's going on here and don't mess it up by going and asking him. Just marry her. You Just run off and marry her. But Boaz, um, he wants to do what is right and uh, make sure that the guy in line in front of him does not want to redeem Ruth. So he must present the situation to this other guy to be upright. And I want to pick up reading that in chapter 4. So if you don't mind flipping over to chapter 4. says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Just happened to come by again while he was sitting at the gate. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Notice it doesn't ever mention his name. Just calls him the other Redeemer. Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And as you're reading the story, you're thinking, oh no, what's happened? Then Boaz said, The widow of the dead, in order to... Sorry, skipped a line. The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So the man, this other redeemer, 
is willing to redeem the land, but as soon as, Elim as uh, Boaz mentioned uh, Ruth and Naomi, the guy put, put on the brakes and said, hold on, I'm, I can't do that. Um, and this really uh, paints the picture of uh, us in an unredeemed state. Uh, no one else wants us. We are in a wretched state that no one uh, would accept us. And you see that here. There's no one else to redeem them. There's no one else to come after them. But Boaz uh, depicts Christ. He doesn't hesitate. And immediately he makes the decision to redeem uh, lowly Ruth and Naomi that nobody else wants. And he redeems them for uh, himself. Pick it up in verse 7. It says, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. A conf to confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. <laughs> no, you're fine. And that's just an indicator that it was probably written um, after a little while after this, because if this was still the practice, they wouldn't have had to point it out. And so they, this was probably written down a little bit later when this practice was no longer um, no longer done. Because it says, this was the custom in former times. So picking it up in verse 8, So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal, and then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So Ruth is um, a prime example, uh, but God has revealed all throughout the Old Testament that he proposed, that he purposed not only to redeem Israel uh, and a remnant from Israel, but also a remnant from the Gentiles. Um, in the lineage of Christ, um, if you enjoy studying lineages, uh, the lineage of Christ is pretty fascinating when you um, 
look at the three women mentioned, uh, Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth. Um, they're all Gentiles. Uh, Tamar and Rahab were, Tamar was um, pretended to be a prostitute um, and was impregnated by Judah. Uh, Rahab was a prostitute um, who repented, followed after um, Israel uh, from Jericho. And Ruth was a Moabitess. So it's fascinating as you look through the lineage of Christ, um, just to see the number of um, Gentiles that God called out as some of his chosen people. It's encouragement to us just as you read the New Testament that you see that even throughout the Old Testament that God has not changed. He continues to work the same way and he continues to choose who he wants to choose and call who he wants to call. Um, there, is, there are some parallels uh, between the uh, kinsman redeemer mentioned in Deuteronomy and the fulfillment in Christ. Um, and if you want to make a um, little chart, there's uh, <coughs> five parallel points. So you can put kinsman redeemer as a messianic type, if you want to do that on the back. Um, kinsman redeemer as a messianic type. And there are requirements for those kinsmen redeemer, what they had to uh, do to be a kinsman redeemer. <clears throat> and then how that's fulfilled in Christ. So on the left side, if you want to write these down, um, we'll do them one at a time, and then I'll, I'll do the one on the left side and then one on the right side. Uh, the one on the left side is a requirement, the one on the right side is the fulfillment in Christ. So the first one under the requirement is they were requ required to be a blood relative. Okay, so the kinsman redeemer was required to be a blood relative. And the fulfillment in Christ is that Christ was born of a woman sharing a blood relation with all of us, going back to Adam. So the requirement is they had to be a blood relative and Christ was born of a woman in flesh. Uh, the second one under requirement is they were required to be able to purchase the forfeited inheritance. They had to be able to purchase it. They couldn't just take it for nothing. They had to be able to purchase it. They had to be able to purchase the forfeited inheritance. And the fulfillment in Christ is that Christ had the merit, the only one who had the merit to pay the price to redeem sinners. Christ had the merit to pay the price to redeem sinners. So you had to be able to purchase the forfeited inheritance, and Christ had that purchasing power through his blood to redeem sinners. Number three is the requirement of a kinsman redeemer was he must be willing to buy back the forfeited inheritance. So he had to be willing to buy it back. In the special case of a leveret marriage, uh, there was some responsibility there, but this is just talking about um, Leviticus chapter uh, 25 and just the, the 
process procedure for redeeming things in general. He was required to be willing to buy back the forfeited inheritance. And the fulfillment in Christ was that Christ willingly laid down his life. He willingly laid down his life and fulfilled that. The, the next one um, I thought of as I read through this, um, and why didn't the um, other redeemer want to redeem Ruth and Naomi? What do you mean by mess up his own inheritance? Sorry. It's, he said that he would forfeit it, isn't that? Uh, forfeit wasn't the word he used. It was impair, I think. Yeah, something that was, uh, didn't have something to do with uh, uh, fulfilling the obligation uh, to a family member, you know, if the brother died or whatever. Uh, and they have to step in and take over his place to give birth to one child that would, that would follow on his lineage. Or right. The Leverett marriage stated that the if a brother passed away and he was married, the, the next brother, the next single brother was to marry that wife. Um, there is some um, debate as to whether this was a Leverett marriage uh, because uh, Elimelech was not... Uh, Boaz's brother, uh, they, it, it's, um, uh, they think that they were probably a little further in relation from that. And so that doesn't necessarily apply here. Uh, Natalie, you had your hand up. What were you going to say? They had to give up their inheritance to that firstborn, I think. Yeah, the, if, if this other redeemer had redeemed Ruth and Naomi, he would have had to um, now split his inheritance between the rest of his siblings and uh, Ruth and Naomi. And so he didn't want to split the inheritance. He wanted to give, the, give all of his inheritance to his direct descendants. He didn't want to give that to another clan, essentially. So he did not want to impair the inheritance that he was going to give to his own children. And so <clears throat> one of the things that I added on this list was the person redeeming, they have to be willing to uh, share the inheritance with the redeemed. Because this guy, he was not willing to do that. And that parallels with uh, the fulfillment in Christ, that Christ made us co-heirs with himself. He had no problem sharing his inheritance with us. <clears throat> and the last one there has to do with the leveret marriage. Yeah, the, the requirement is that the Redeemer must be willing to marry the wife of the deceased. It would not have been okay for that guy to redeem the land and take Ruth and Naomi in and just care for them as other women. He was required to marry her if he was going to do that. But he was not willing. But the fulfillment in Christ is um, Christ takes the redeemed. He takes uh, those who are uh, called and he 
Uh, they are his bride. The church is the bride of Christ. So those are just some parallels in the Old Testament. As you look at, um, as you read through Deuteronomy uh, 24, I think it is, and Leviticus 25, you see uh, these parallels. And God, God put so many things in the Old Testament that just pointed to um, his grace and mercy in the coming of Jesus Christ and what he would do. Uh, fulfillment, Christ took those who were redeemed as his bride. Thank you. Yes? Um, in that case, who would the Redeemer have to, who would he uh, have to marry? If, like between Ruth and Naomi, because they're both the widows of the deceased. Well, the idea was to marry for um, this, the... Uh, purpose of producing an heir and it sounds as if Naomi was over that age she'd already had two yeah yeah and she, apparently she didn't have very good genetics so because Malin and Killian I forget what they stand for but it's sickly and something else sickly and sad or something it's <laughs> gimpy and slimpy or something it's not something you so <laughs> probably why they probably why they died because they weren't real healthy to begin with. So, but doesn't wouldn't that give Ruth pause? Like, hey, maybe I should marry this guy. Gimpy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't know why they why they married. <clears throat> um, it's amazing how much is veiled in the Old Testament, uh, spelled out in the New Testament. That brings us to the very brief uh, final major theme of God's plan, the plan of God. Flip over to chapter 4, verse 22. Actually, we'll read, start in verse 19. And this, what's that? Uh, 422, Ruth 422, 19 to 22, I'm sorry. Yeah, if you want to go ahead and read it, Gary, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Ezra fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. So here, I guess I should start at 18 where it says now these are the generations of Perez and Perez fathered Hezron and then that's where Gary picked up. Um, but this just goes back to the purpose of the book uh, that God um, God was bringing about uh, his king. Right? He purposed to bring about his king in his way, in his plan. And that's what we see here is this is this is the plan. This is the process by which God brought uh, David to be. He sent uh, Elimelech to Moab and Elimelech, Malon, Kilion. They all died there. Naomi and Ruth came back. The whole story, that was all uh, part of God's plan to bring about his king in David. So those are the major themes of the book.
we touched on a lot of verses. These aren't quite as big, but were there any other verses that you guys, um, that stood out to you guys, you guys as keys in the book? Anything you guys thought that was important that I didn't touch on? <coughs> Karen. Yeah, they, the, the women name. I mean, it seemed like at first a little bit to me, maybe I read it a little bit wrong, but it seemed like at first they were probably a little bit put off because she returned with Ruth and they weren't maybe too sure about this white woman or something. I don't know, maybe I'm reading into it, but then by the end, they're gathering around and they're telling her, you know, this is, you know, this is wonderful, you're blessed. Mm -hmm. um, it, that was a, just a, a very sweet, a very sweet <clears throat> thing. Yeah, and one of, the, one of the things in the book of Ruth is at the beginning, um, Naomi says that she, that, you know, she went away full, but she came back empty. And all through the book, um, you'll notice that Boaz is, um, physically sending the message that she's going to be filled by se constantly sending loads back with Ruth. And that's just symbolically showing that God is filling her back up. Though he emptied her, he is filling her back up. But yeah, the, even Naomi, you see a change in her from the first chapter to the last. Brett. So I was just wondering, um, I've never heard how to explain the, about the names. Um, it's really coincidental that like Chilion and Malin mean sickly or, or, and pale or something like that, and then Elimelech is is God is my king. And uh, do you think those are real names that really do really mean that, and that they actually just happen to happen to these guys? Yeah, I do. Um, I. I preached a sermon, I don't know when that was, but I go into that, if you want to look it up online, I go into that a lot in detail. So, yeah, it's, it's um, highly uh, thought that Mal and Killian were sickly and pale or, you know, yeah. not real uh, physically well because of... And in the Old Testament, a lot of times the name had to do with her character, so... Yeah. Yeah, that's what you get. Yeah, that's kind of like <laughs> it's the providence of God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, were they born and she's I mean, like, hey, it's cool. a tiny baby, let's call it sickly? <laughs> we don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of times, people's names. Um, had to do with her character, and that's why Naomi went back and said, don't call me Naomi. <coughs> Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, uh, which is, yeah. So she said, that's, that doesn't fit me anymore. Yeah, yeah Christy. Um, I heard two different things about the beginning of the book, like um, that um, Naomi's husband was not trusting the Lord because he left Israel in the midst of a famine. 
you know, and you're not supposed to leave Israel. <laughs> so he was right. not trusting the Lord. And then I've heard someone else say that he was actually, they were actually a very godly family, and they were going out and evangel, not evangelizing, but sort of, <laughs> you know, going yeah. out. Yeah, well, that's what happened with Ruth. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you know, like, I... I talked about that in my sermon as well, but I think that they were a godly family just based on the fact that um, of Ruth's um, devotion to the Lord. Um, if, if they weren't devoted to the Lord, she wasn't going to be devoted to the Lord. I mean, and they, were, they weren't supposed to, obviously, the, um, as Israelite young men, they weren't supposed to marry Moabite women. Um, but in, in the evilness of the culture that they came out of, that, that's probably not on, on the high list of sins that, the, you know, the, the culture um, does have an effect on us. You see in um, Genesis, Lot was called righteous, righteous Lot, and yet he was going to send out his daughters um, in place of the angels that were there to, for, the, for the, the men of the town to, uh, to lay with. And so, but yet he's called righteous lot. Um, and that just goes to show that the, the culture has an effect. Um, and I think that that shows in this, that just because they married Moabite women um, and left Israel doesn't mean that they um, were not faithful to God. I mean, obviously there's sin involved in everybody who is faithful um, in their lives. It's Travis. possible too that they converted. Yeah. Because of those kinds of factors, and they just need to provide then you look at the name of Bethlehem, which means a house of bread. Yet again, there's a famine there mm -hmm. due to the consequences of the sin of the people. So I don't see this as um, righteous people doing something wonderful by leaving the place that God has actually provided for them. I see it as the consequences of them leaving their land and not trusting in God in the way that they were determined to. God not providing an Israelite woman for them to marry because they were in a land mm -hmm. that did not have the Israelite women. So they married Moabites. So to me, that's like maybe a little opposite, but I see God's grace because God is constantly drawing his people to himself. And um, by placing them in that situation and then the husband's dying, uh, Naomi is forced to return to where God has called them to be. And in his grace, he provides the small white woman's salvation and the salvation of Ruth. Mm -hmm. so <laughs> yeah, and those are, those are, as I read through, those are the two opinions that are out there. And there's not, there's differing, yeah, there's just, there's those two differing opinions on the matter. Um, 
but I, I do fall on the side of um, them being a righteous family. Yes, Gary. But it also seems that as you go through Scripture, you see oftentimes when God's people fall into sin, like Israel turning their back, it is not unusual for God to set aside his people and work outside that to accomplish his purpose because his people have violated his commands. And so, again, that's another thing you see. I, I guess I also want to make sure it seems like um, some people might use this as a excuse that I can date non-Christians and win them to Christ. So I thought maybe that might be another thing you might want to shoot down. Um, <laughs> that is definitely clear throughout Scripture, the Old Testament. God, the reason God told the Israelites not to intermarry um, was not because of genetics, was not because of of race, not because of anything else. It was because of the difference in religion. It was because of the difference in um, the the religion that <clears throat> the Israelites were following. They were they were Yahweh's people, and God did not want them to intermarry with other people who were going to draw that uh, draw them away from Him. And so you see that in the New Testament. Um, just the, the principle is the same. Um, light cannot exist with darkness. Um, and you see that principle throughout Scripture. And you can't look at um, any of Scripture and get away with thinking it's okay to marry an unbeliever uh, in hopes that you convert them. <laughs> the, Paul talks about the, the hardship that a believing husband and wife are going to have an unbelieving husband and a believing wife or vice versa are going to have in their marriage. Brett? I do think we should be real clear. I mean, Moab was not included in the list of people that they couldn't intermarry with. I think they were. No, no. Are they not? Yeah, yeah like I'll read, I'll read one to you. Here's Deuteronomy 7, 1 to 3. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering and take possession of, clears away many nations before you. The Hittites, the Rubishites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites which are seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, you shall not intermarry with them and your daughters and your sons. Because Moab, doesn't Moab and Ammon both come from Lot? And so that's not, that's not the Canaanites. They weren't allowed to marry the Canaanites, but they were allowed, I don't think there's... You want to look at Deuteronomy 23, 3 to 6? Yeah, Deuteronomy 23, 23... 23, 3 to 6 talks about. Um, it forbids it for 10 generations. Yeah, forbids a Moabite from being. Enter the assembly of the Lord. Yeah. Right. But this would be the 11th generation after sheep. But once again, the, the principle was people who are idol worshipers, yeah, yeah. who are following God, who are following, you know, the God of Moab was Molech. Um, and so the, the principle is you. You don't want to um, yoke yourself. You don't want to be involved uh, closely with someone else who are, is going to draw you away from serving God, whether that, no matter what their values are, no matter what they believe, you don't want to involve yourself in those relationships. And that's, that's the principle. You want to stay away from people who are inevitably going to draw you away from God. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't go out and evangelize, but that means that 
our closest friends, the people that we are um, actively building relationships uh, with and close to and are taking advice from are believers. We need, those are the people that we need to have close and we need to look at um, everybody else as the mission field yeah. and, and not drawing close to them um, for support or for friendship, um, but for evangelism purposes. Right. She before she ever left, she said, I'm following Yahweh. I'm going to, you know, take care of you where you go. I go um, and I'll stay with you till you die. And that was her commitment to Naomi because of her faith in Yahweh. Right. Yes. To see, it's a lot like Rahab. Yeah. God went out of his way to save one person, Rahab, a prostitute. And here he does the same thing for Ruth. Yeah. So he gets back to the sovereignty of God. Yep. God purposed to not only bring about um, David as king, but purposed that it would happen through um, Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth. Brought it all about. You guys have any other questions or comments? We don't really have time to get into any of the uh, interpretive challenges. We've actually already talked about a couple of them. So <clears throat> um, I'm going to close in prayer. Generally, Father, we uh, praise you that you are sovereign, that you are providentially working all things together for uh, the good of those who uh, love you, Lord. Um, and even though uh, disasters come and go, uh, you are still on your throne and we can trust in you uh, to do what is right. Uh, help us to have the faith of uh, Naomi as disasters come to recognize that you're doing it, but there is no wrongdoing in you, and you're bringing those things about for uh, your good purpose. Help us to have the faith of Ruth to do whatever you ask us to do, to make whatever sacrifice you ask us to make, no matter what the cost. And as well with Boaz, just willing to uh, do anything, to give up anything, to, uh, to follow what you uh, have set before us, Lord. To go above and beyond uh, of the law, to be righteous. Help us to be a people that stands out um, in our communities as they were. Lord, we pray all these things uh, in your name. Help us to go out and be lights in the community we live in. In Jesus' name, amen.